So many of you guys um, filled out that survey last week that it was, uh, it was awesome to see hundreds and hundreds of you fill out that survey. We actually had to build a new and better response plan uh, to get back with you. So I know that some of you have received some initial correspondence. Some of you may be waiting. Um, our hope is to be able to get back with you on some practical next steps this week. Uh, if you filled out that survey, just be on the lookout to hear more from us with follow-up emails this week. So I'm eagerly anticipating what uh, the Lord will do as we commit to, um, over the next couple of years, to becoming a multiplying church. Uh, I'm also looking forward right now to getting into God's Word with you today. So if you have your Bible, you can take it right now and open up to chapter one of the book of Genesis. All right, Genesis, here we go. Um, I, uh, I am really um, pumped to get back into a study straight through one of the books of the Bible. Um, I have liked our short little mini-series that we've done, several of those over the past few months. But um, as you guys know, my favorite way to preach is to preach straight through books of the Bible. I think it's really good for us to approach God's Word this way, and I am excited to get into Genesis with you. Now, um, as most of you know, Genesis is a book about the beginning Right? It is a book about origins. It tells us where we came from. It helps us know who we are. It really is the start of the story of God's family. Now, um, again, as some of you, many of you know, my 91-year-old grandmother passed away on January 20th. This is the last picture that she and I took together uh, when she was here, right? My sweet Meemaw right there. Uh, she actually came down here. That was a picture from the weekend when we had our building dedication service. And uh, she was here for that. And I got to sit right down there with her and sing and, you know, pray together with her, which was, was awesome. But I love my Mima. And uh, I, uh, you know, we kind of saw her health start to decline over the past couple years. And so over the past year and a half or so, I would call her and I would set up these things called Mima meetings. And uh, basically, it was a phone call where I would say, all right, Mima, I need to talk with you for, for about an hour. I've got a whole bunch of questions I want to run through with you. And, and anybody who knows my Mima means that one hour means three hours, right? It's just like we had all these, uh, I had all these questions I wanted to ask her, and I didn't want to miss the opportunity to ask her and write things down. So we started talking, you know, and I would ask her all about her life, being raised in the South, and what were the details of like her life, like when she was raised in poverty, how did she... How did she come to faith in Christ? Where was she baptized? Like, what happened? How did she meet my papa? All these things I was able to capture down. What, what, were, her, uh, what were her parents like? And what were her grandparents like? And how did, how did all of them relate to my parents? And what was my parents' relationship like with them? And, and then I got to ask her, were there any family secrets that I get to know about? Uh, <laughs> is there anything that you've kind of been carrying around in your heart for all these years that you just kind of want to talk through? I mean, we had some really, really, really sweet conversations. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I found out more about her story. And uh, I learned about our family. And as I found out more about our background, it helped me better understand uh, my own parents. And honestly, it helped me better understand myself. Right? In other words, the better she helped me understand where I came from, the better I understand who I am now and how my life fits into the bigger picture of our family. Now, as we study the book of Genesis, it's going to do something similar. It will help us understand where we came from, which will help us understand who we are, which will help us understand how our life fits into the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world. 
So I'm excited to, to get into the book of Genesis with you. Um, I am, I'm also excited about it because we're going to be digging deep into a book of the uh, Old Testament. And uh, man, we have really spent a lot of time. I've, in February, it'll make six years that I've been here as a pastor. We've spent a lot of time in the New Testament. Um, and we've spent a little time in Old Testament books. We've studied through Hosea and Ruth this past year and selections from the Psalms. But I'm really excited to go through a deep dive in the first book of the Old Testament. But what I know is that many people can struggle to study and understand the Old Testament. And, and here's why. Just jotted down some, some thoughts here. Some of the reasons we struggle, the old, to struggle to understand the Old Testament are these. Right? In the Old Testament, it seems that the God of the Old Testament might be different from the God we know now. We can sometimes feel that way. We can think that the God of the Old Testament emphasized rules. The God of the New Testament emphasized love. The God of the Old Testament, we think, can maybe be all about wrath. The God of the New Testament is all about grace. Right? A lot of people struggle with that perception. Sometimes we wrestle with the Old Testament because we think that the Old Testament, you know, and its whole perception of Israel is totally different than the New Testament and the perception of the church. Because in the Old Testament, we have the tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, we have churches in the cities. In the Old Testament, Israel had this kind of centralized uh, place of worship in the temple. In the New Testament, the temple's gone. There's no centralized place. In the Old Testament, Israel had feasts and ceremonies and rituals that were very important to them. The New Testament church doesn't really have that. right? So just the two can seem so different. We struggle with the Old Testament sometimes because the culture of the Old Testament is just totally different from today's world, right? The Old Testament culture, agricultural, our culture, right, highly industrial or technological, you know, Old Testament world had tribes and kings and monarchies like ours. We find ourselves democracy and bureaucrats and elected officials and all these types of things. Old Testament, all the events happen basically in the Middle East, and here we are in like Midwestern Ohio, a little bit different, right? So it can just seem, the Old Testament can just seem too different to make sense to our modern lives. It, it, it can feel totally disconnected from how we understand the Christian life to be. In other words, because the Old Testament is so different, we may not think of Old Testament history as applying to our present story. I was thinking this past week, <clears throat> I wonder if someday I'll ever have grandkids and those grandkids might come to me and ask me questions like I asked my Mima. I wonder if they'll ask me about mine and Rachel's backgrounds because uh, Rachel and I come from very different backgrounds. I'm from Michigan. Rachel was actually born in Michigan, but then military family, she was raised all over the place. My family not only has roots in Michigan, but also previous generations in Arkansas and Mississippi, that kind of thing. Rachel's family has roots in Maryland and Pennsylvania and New York and Florida and all over the place. I, w I went to the same school and the same church from the time I was basically out of the womb until I graduated high school. Uh, Rachel's background is different. She went to different churches and different schools as her family traveled through the military. My mom, uh, my mom was a teacher, Rachel's mom, stay-at-home mom. My dad worked on the line for General Motors. Rachel's dad had a, a career and became a 
um, colonel in the Air Force, right? So there are many differences in me and my wife's background, but our stories ended up merging, right? 2004, we meet. 2006, we get married. We have a family. Just celebrated 18 years of marriage. You know, we, our stories have merged, and now our story is shaping our kids' story. And this is as simple as it gets, but guys, families are made up of people with different backgrounds whose stories merge into a bigger family story. And the truth is, is that God's family is like that. When, when we join God's family, we merge into the bigger story. We may not be very familiar with our history or our ancestors. You may not be super familiar with church history or with Old Testament history. You may not be familiar with your biblical ancestors, the people we're going to study in the book of Genesis, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, the, the background may be very different, right? Middle Eastern agricultural culture from thousands of years ago. So perhaps the Old Testament, and maybe even especially the book of Genesis, has seemed so different to you that you have struggled to connect that history with your story. But here's the truth. If you are part of the family of God, Genesis is part of your family story. If you are part of the family of God, Genesis is part of your family story. Genesis helps you understand your history. It helps you understand your ancestors, spiritually speaking. Genesis helps you understand God. Genesis is foundational to understanding Jesus and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Genesis is the beginning of our family story. Now, in this introductory message on Genesis, here's how I want to approach this teaching today. First of all, I want to um, give you the main sections and subsections of the book of Genesis. Then I want to introduce you to the main themes that run all the way through the book of Genesis. And then I want to just give you some details on how we're going to approach the preaching of Genesis week by week. And my prayer is that throughout this study, and even maybe today, that we're going to start to see how Genesis is directly tied to our day-to-day -day lives, and it's tied to our story as the family of God. So that's where we're going. Let's start with overviewing the two main sections of the book of Genesis. Genesis can be broken down into two main sections. Um, and as we get into these details, let me just say that all that I'm going to share with you now about the organizational structure of Genesis, I read this on Christianity Today, an article that I read that was very helpful to me. It kind of stuck with me, so I'm presenting it to you now. Hopefully it'll help you. If you're an organizational thinker like me, stuff like this really helps, right? Uh, if you're not an organizational thinker, then... God be with you. I hope that you can figure out life, okay? Um, but it helps people like me, all right? Uh, all you abstract thinkers love you too, okay? All right. Section one in the book of Genesis is really dealing with what I'll just call four great events. These four great events are uh, listed in chapters one through 11, and I just want to walk through them one at a time with you. So these four great events, the first one is the event of creation, Creation is covered in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's where the Bible starts out. It starts at the beginning. You guys know the opening sentence to the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I, one thing I want to just point out right away, guys, is that uh, from the very beginning of the Bible... 
we see that the Bible is about God. It's about what God has done. A lot of times I think we look at Scripture and we think that Scripture is um, maybe about us. We think that it's maybe good moral advice for our lives. We maybe think of it mainly as uh, something like that, that it's just kind of an uh, applicable self-help, self-help book or something like that. A lot of people in our culture may think of God's Word that way, but I just want to make it simple. From the opening statement of the Bible, we can see that the Bible is about God and what He did in the beginning. So as we read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and the events of creation, what we're going to see is that God really does a forming and then a filling work. So we'll see in the creation story that God forms the night and the day, and then he fills it with the sun, the moon, and the stars, that he forms the sky and the sea, and then he fills them with fish and with birds. He forms the dry land, and then he fills it with plants and animals and man, and that all gives us the event of creation. That's the first major event. The second major event in the book of Genesis is the event called the fall. Now the fall occurs in Genesis chapter 3 through 5. So if chapter 1 and 2 give us uh, this beautiful creation that God made perfectly in the world, guys, it only takes like a, a minute to glance around our world right now and realize it ain't perfect, right? Something is wrong. And that's because sin came into the world. It came into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience. We read the story in Genesis 3 through 5 of how God created Adam and Eve, put them in the Garden of Eden, said, you can eat from any tree that I've made here. Just don't eat of this one tree. And of course, Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin came into the world. Look at the way Genesis 3 verse 6 talks about this. It says, so that when the woman saw... So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So they disobeyed God, right? That is mankind's first act of disobedience and their sin against God that's recorded in Scripture. And so in Scripture, what we see is that that sin that became alive in the heart of man was passed down from generation to generation. And as we see in chapters 3 through 5, their disobedience had these terrible effects, death, corruption, violence come into the world, and it's passed through Adam and Eve's children, which leads right up to the big event, the next big event in Genesis, the third event, which is the event of the flood. The flood is described in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Adam and Eve's sin resulted in death. As you, if you know the story, you know that one of their sons killed the other one. This ended up leading to generations full of sin and violence. And eventually, in order to deal with mankind's violence against each other, Genesis 6 uh, through 9 tells us that God decided to destroy all of mankind because of how violent they were, except God decided to keep one good man alive along with his family, the man named Noah. Genesis 6, verse 13 and 17 kind of summarize this. It says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which, uh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So the flood... And the ark's not the story of a nice little uh, group of animals taking a joyride. Seriously. Like, it's not this fun little story for kids. This is like God's judgment. Okay? 
So in Genesis chapter 6 through 8, we get the story of the flood coming, then subsiding. Everyone in the world except Noah's family gets destroyed. And in chapter 9, we see the generations coming down from Noah's family. They start to repopulate the earth. But, of course, these people repopulating the earth now have a sin nature. They have, uh, they, they're part of the corrupting work uh, that, that continues on in the world, which leads us to the fourth great event in Genesis, which is the event of the tower. The Tower of Babel, it's covered in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. So God had told mankind to multiply and fill the earth, right? He told that to Noah. He told mankind, I want you to fill the earth. And then if you read in the Tower of of Babel, basically mankind says, no, we're not going to scatter. We're not going to cover the earth. We're not going to fill the earth. We're going to stay right here where we are, and we're going to build a name for ourselves, which is what is described in Genesis chapter 11. Let me just read some selections here from verses 4, 8, and 9. It says, uh, then humanity, people, they came together and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed all over the face of the earth. Right? So they didn't want to go and multiply and fill the earth. They wanted to stay right where they were. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Now, there's a lot to be shared about the story of the Tower of Babel. We're going to get into it in detail when we move forward. But today, really, what I'm trying to do is just introduce you to the organizational outline, the structure of the book of Genesis. And so, in chapters 1 through 11, we see the four great events that took place. Creation, fall, flood, tower. Right? That's the first major section of the book of Genesis. Then we get into the second major section of the book of Genesis, which I'll call the four great men. The four great men. The stories of these four men are shared in chapters 12 through 50. And so again, I just want to kind of quickly overview them one at a time. Here's the first great man whose story is told. His name's Abraham. Abraham's story is told in chapters 12 through 23. And again, if you're not super familiar with Scripture, Abraham's uh, name was originally Abram. God did some work in his life, renamed him Abraham. We'll get into all that when we move forward. But we're introduced to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, this is part of something that is called the Abrahamic covenant. And I know that covenant is kind of a big Christianese word. And again, one of those words that we will explain more about as we move forward. But it's essentially a promise from God, okay? And God promises to make from Abraham a great nation of people from his descendants, which Abraham had a really hard time believing because in Genesis 12, when God said this to him, he's 75 years old, he's got no kids. He and his wife, Sarah, they actually, God promises to give him a, wife, a child with his wife, Sarah. And as we keep reading, when they are, when Abraham is 100 years old, a son was born to him from his wife, Sarah, in her old age. And of course, that son leads us to the second great man in the book of Genesis, whose name was Isaac. Isaac's story of his birth kind of takes place in chapter 21 or 22, but 
the main story that's focused on in Scripture is the story of his marriage. So, yeah, chapter 21, Isaac is born. Chapter 22 is where we read about Abraham almost sacrificing his son on the altar. Chapter 23, Isaac's mother, Sarah, dies. So Isaac is grieving. And then in chapter 24, his joy is restored when he gets a wife. And there's this important story about him uh, and the way that the Lord brought him a wife. Genesis 24, verse 2 through 4 says this, And Abraham, again Isaac's father, said to his servant, Go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now chapter 24 and 25 are all about this story about him bringing a wife, getting a wife for himself. And then his father Abraham dies in chapter 25. Isaac ends up having two sons for himself. And the third great man is one of Isaac's sons. It's his son named Jacob. Jacob's story is found in chapters 27 through 36 of Genesis. Jacob's mother, Isaac's wife, his name is Rebekah. And we read a little bit about, introduced to this interesting scenario in the beginning of Genesis 27, where Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to you, to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you, so that he may bless you before he dies. So basically what's going on here is that Jacob and his mother, Rebekah, trick their blind old dad into bestowing the blessing on Jacob, the younger brother, instead of Esau, the older brother, which sets up this scenario in Scripture where, isn't it interesting, the younger, deceptive, conniving brother always gets the blessing. Really makes sense in the wing household now, doesn't it, right? Okay. Um, chapter 34, you know, really starting here in this story, this, this ends up creating a big tension between Jacob and his brother Esau, and eventually they reconcile in chapter 35, and during that time, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which, by the way, again, if you're not familiar with Scripture that much, Sometimes when the Bible speaks of Israel, it talks about the, the people of Israel, the nation people of Israel. Um, other times when it talks about Israel, it's referring to a person, the person Jacob, who's God changed his name to Israel. And so Jacob slash Israel has a bunch of sons, one of which is the fourth great man in the book of Genesis, and his name is Joseph. Joseph's story is told in chapters 37 through 50. Joseph is especially loved by his father, Jacob slash Israel. And that caused all sorts of tension with Joseph's brothers. And we get introduced to that tension in Genesis chapter 37, where it says this plainly, Now Israel slash Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peacefully to him. So the rest of the book of Genesis, chapter 37 through 50, revolves around this story of Joseph and his tension with his brothers and all the dramatic stuff that took place there. And in the midst of it all, God is working out his sovereign plan for the world. We're going to cover all that. We're going to see how it unfolds. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, those are the four great men in the second section of Genesis, 
And their stories follow the four great events in the first section of Genesis. Creation, fall, flood, and tower. Now, I hope that gives you an organized way to think through the book of Genesis, right? It's 50 chapters long. We got to think about how, how, really, how can we kind of understand it conceptually so we can wrap our minds around it. But the, the reality is that God didn't give us Genesis just so we can kind of organize it into sections, right? God is saying something. He's, he wants us to understand some sort of concepts through the way that this book has been delivered down to us. And so there are three key themes that run through the book of Genesis that I want to mention today. We're going to keep coming back to them over and over again. The first theme in the book of Genesis is the theme of creation. Genesis gives us our origins. It shows us that God made us, that God made the world. So as we study Genesis, we are going to see God as creator. We're going to emphasize the importance of understanding his creation, his creative work. I know that some of you in this room uh, may struggle to believe in creation. Some of you may have only been taught your whole life the theory of evolution. Some of you may um, come into this room and you're like, yeah, I'm a creationist, but I got different understandings of how God created. And we're going to get into all that as we move forward. And we're going to see how important it is to understanding God and the trustworthiness of Scripture and several other things. But God as creator and his creative work is a major theme in the book of Genesis. The second major theme through the book of Genesis is the theme of corruption, right? Corruption. We're going to see how sin comes into this world, corrupts God's perfect creation, and it's not just some sort of corruption that happened back then, it's corruption that still affects our world today, right? So, I'm corrupted by sin. You're corrupted by sin. The world is corrupted by sin. You know, we all are part of that. We, I sin, you sin. We all sin against each other. We bring our, our sinful backgrounds and the pains and the effects of sin into the room, and it's part of life. Like, we have conflicts in our homes. We have conflicts in our church. We have conflicts in our nation and amongst people groups around the world because sin is real. And Genesis is going to allow us to see that the sins of today aren't really unique to us, right? There's been sin problems from the beginning. Genesis allows us to start talking about and dealing with uh, several really important issues that come about because of the corruption of sin. So You know, when we study the story of Adam and Eve, we're going to be able to deal with things like temptation and like, what is temptation? How does it work? How do we battle temptation? We're going to address things like jealousy and sibling rivalry and envy that we see in the lives of people like Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau and others, right? We're going to see practical struggles like uh, in-law problems. Not that I have any of those. They're sitting over there. Okay. Uh, but I'm sure some people do, right? Um, we're going to see struggles. Um, we're going to address things like gender and sexuality and homosexuality and, you know, these types of things that are front and center topics to, like, our culture today, right? They're all addressed here in the book of Genesis. We're going to have to address practical stuff like the heartache of infertility and uh, problems of government and 
the reality of war and violence and various things. Like, there are many other things in Genesis that are part of sin's corruption. And so it will be a theme that we come back to over and over throughout this book. Now, the last theme that we're going to talk about throughout Genesis is the theme of covenants. It's the theme of covenants. Now, again, like I mentioned before, covenants is kind of a big churchy word. And when you think of covenants, I want you to think of God's overarching promises that really drive the course of history, okay? That's what we're talking about when we talk about covenants in the book of Genesis. They're God's overarching promises that drive the trajectory of history. We're going to see that God made covenants with Adam and covenants with Noah and covenants with Abraham. And these covenants, these promises have to do with him eventually delivering his special blessings to the world. And what you're going to see, maybe you've never really dove into the study of covenants before, but what you're going to see is that when you come to understand the meaning of covenants, that's what really helps you see the Bible as one kind of full, continuous story, not just a whole bunch of segmented parts. You're going to see through covenants that it ties the story of Genesis together, it ties the Old Testament and the New Testament, the whole Bible together, and it really ties the history of the world together. So I, I know that most of us who come to church, like we're familiar that Genesis is kind of about creation in the early days. Uh, most of us who come to church would probably say, yeah, we know the story of Jesus and that he died and rose again. But it's only through really understanding the covenants that you're going to see how Genesis is connected to Jesus. It's through God's covenant promises that it will even make sense of why the Son of God came as the Messiah for Israel and for the world. Why he had to live a sinless life and die a substitutionary death on the cross and the importance of his powerful, victorious resurrection from the grave. It's only through the covenants that the work of Christ, even his second coming, uh, it's only through the covenants that that really starts to make sense. So we're going to get into these themes of creation, corruption, and covenants, and they'll be repeated. Now, with these themes in mind, we're going to come back week after week, and we're going to listen to sermon after sermon. And so let me just kind of give you a heads up on how we're going to approach each sermon so that you can just kind of have this in your mind as we get ready. In each sermon, we're essentially going to address three questions. The three questions are these. What do we learn historically? What do we learn theologically? And, what do we learn, and how do we apply it practically? Okay? All three aspects are important. I, I hope that when, we, when I teach this way and when the other guys teach this way, I hope that you learn how to study the Bible this way, that you learn how to, to figure out what's happening in the text historically. Then what does it teach us about God? And now that I understand better God and what happened, like how does that actually apply to my life? Okay, this is, it's going to help us this way. And all three of these aspects are essential. And here's why. I want to be very clear with you. Genesis is a historical text. Right? Genesis is not just story. It's history. Genesis isn't like Aesop's fables with some nice little characters who give us morality lessons, you know, you know but they're fake. You know, that's not the way Genesis is. Genesis is history. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Adam, Noah. These are real people in real places in real times. So Genesis isn't merely story, it's history. But 
even as much history is included, it's not like every act of historical significance is, is covered in, in the book of Genesis, okay? So, um, well, let me, let me rephrase that. It's not like every detail in history is covered in Genesis. So, in fact, there's some pretty big things left out historically of the book of Genesis. So, we're going to have to talk about things like, hey, uh, Adam and Eve had a son named Cain. He had a wife. Where did Cain's wife come from? So Scott Dixon's going to preach on that in a couple weeks, and <laughs> that'll be fun. We're going to have to, uh, you know, yeah, there was Noah in the ark, but how, how exactly did all the animals get on the ark? I guess historical information, I guess you've got to drive down to Kentucky and you figure it out, you know, like... But my point is is that Genesis is history. It it doesn't give us every tiny detail in history, but Genesis is history, but it's not merely history. Genesis isn't just historical. Genesis is also theological. When we talk about theology, we're talking about God, right? That Genesis teaches us not just about history, but about God. We don't just need to accumulate historical facts and historical information by reading Genesis. God gave us Genesis so that we would know him, that we would worship him, that we would honor him and respond to him with our lives. So we're going to learn about God. As we study Genesis, we're going to see God's omnipotence, and we're going to study concepts like federal headship and his electing and justifying work, and we're going to see things like his providence and his sovereignty, which I realize that even just using some of those terms, some of you are like, what language did he just speak? Okay. And yes, there are like big words that are going to be used in our study through the book of Genesis, but here's what I would say. Let's not be afraid of those big words because having terminology that's kind of unusual for us actually helps us many times understand at a deeper level who God is. So we're going to get into some of these theological concepts, right? Genesis isn't just historical. It's also theological. And last, Genesis is also practical. It does teach us how to live. We can learn from the examples of Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah and Joseph. Right? We learn both what to do and what not to do. And from Joseph, we, we learn how to trust and obey God's commands and trust his faithful, sovereign hand in the midst of our suffering and hardships. From Abraham, we, 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 learn, we can learn from his example on what it means to believe God. From Abraham, we also learn what not to do, right? We're not, we're going to learn we probably shouldn't go somewhere and like act like your wife is your sister, Okay? Uh, lots of other things in Genesis we can learn not to do. But my point is, is that we're going to be able to come to like real life, practical, day by day, uh, applicable things in our lives, right? So we're going we're gonna to talk about maleness and femaleness. We're going to talk about marriage and family. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about issues pertaining to Rivalries and jealousy and war and governments and 
We're going to talk about practical stuff like God's mission for his people, right? So Genesis is practical, but in order to apply it practically, we also need to understand it historically and theologically. All three have to be there. So that's why we're going to ask those three questions each week. Now, i got to wrap up. So let me just say this. I am excited to get into Genesis. Everybody else excited with me? All right. So we're going to take our time. We're going to go slowly and intentionally through this book for probably the next two years. My, my assumption is we're going to be in Genesis probably till the spring of 2025. All right. So ready your hearts. Okay. Here we go. Now, I just want to give you one sentence that kind of summarizes the book of Genesis and we're going to come back to this over and over. And, you know, repetition is the key to understanding. Um, so we're just going to keep this coming forward in front of you. If I could summarize Genesis, here's, here's how I would say it. Genesis takes us on a journey through the dawn of God's creation, the descent into sin's corruption, and the blessing of God's covenants. Right? That sounds like an epic story, doesn't it? <laughs> and that, honestly, that, that's because it is an epic story. It's been going on from the beginning of time till today. Genesis is the beginning of our family story. And I hope that you are part of the family of God today. You will cherish Genesis if you are part of God's family. If you are not part of God's family, you may struggle through this story, but I hope you keep coming back anyways. You can become part of God's family today through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And if even that statement is confusing to you, but you're interested in learning more, I would absolutely love to talk and pray with you when this service is done. Let me pray, and then we'll have our closing song. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to introduce the book of Genesis. Thank you for giving us Genesis. Thank you for giving us your word. Uh, Lord, you have, uh, I'm glad that you have revealed yourself through creation and through Christ. Lord, I am also grateful that you have given us your revelation, your special revelation in your word. I pray, Lord, that as we go through the foundations of your family here, the origins of your family, I pray that we would all better understand who you are. That we would respond rightfully to who you are. That we would better understand who we are and that we would live according to the way and the purposes that you have designed us. Lord, um, we commit this study to you for as long as you'll let us do it, either until its conclusion or until you call us home or until you return. Lord, thank you that we can go through this book. Please bless our study through this book. May it lead us to appreciate the redemptive work of Christ that you have planned from the beginning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.